Let me, that's right. Let me open us in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another week. We thank you so much for the Lord's Day. Uh, We thank you so much for Redeemer and for the chance to gather together. Uh, We thank you for all the classes going on right now. Um, We pray for um, all the children's classes, the youth classes, the communicants class that started today, um, for our our youth and children who are seeking to make a public profession of faith. What, a, what an encouraging uh, time in the life of our church and the life of those families and those children. Um, and we thank you now for this chance to have two adult classes, that we have the space to do that. Uh, so we pray for uh, this class, that we would be able to engage in this important part of the Bible um, in a meaningful and helpful way. Uh, we pray also for Mike downstairs at the class on Galatians, that um, you would... Um, Hope that to be also an encouraging exploration of such an important book, one of the clearest presentations of the God. The Galatians class, this is not the Galatians class, uh, this is minor <laughs> class, so, um, but sounds like most of you are here because you intended to be, great. Um, yeah, this, is the, this class is called The Gospel According to the Minor Prophets. Uh, Kirk, if I could actually have a copy as well. The, we, we could not get the projector working this morning, so I, um, I didn't want to print out a bunch of paper, and so I made it as small as I possibly could so I could fit it all on one piece of paper. So I understand that most of you probably can't read most of what's on here, but I think that you'll be able to read enough to kind of at least have a general idea of where I'm at in the, in the teaching. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's what this little handout with these microscopic, uh, you know, writing is about. That was my PowerPoint. Hey, you know, again, I, I wanted to not go crazy and print a bunch of copies out. I just, I figured this would be enough for this morning. It, you can at least read the, the, the headings. Um, yeah, there you go. There you go. It's like an illustration, you know. It's it's a mi- it's it's very minor typing for the minor prophets. That's good, Jeff. Um, there you go. All right. So let me just name something as we come into this class. We're going from talking about sex for I don't know 15 weeks to talking about the minor prophets, and um, you know. There may be some here where it's just, you know, maybe this thought has come across your mind of, you know, this is kind of a big shift of um, emphasis, a big shift of kind of focus. Maybe there's even some where you don't know much about the minor prophets, and maybe there's the, the thought of, you know, this, this could be a boring class, you know, of, you know, what, what could we, what are we going to discuss here? But, um, you know, the minor prophets, they're one of the least traveled parts of Scripture, uh, is would be my guest, and uh, hopefully I can change your mind this morning that this is such an important uh, area of study. So, just kind of word association. When I when I say the word prophets, what comes to mind? Just go ahead and shout out a couple couple things. What what, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear about prophets? Telling the future. Who else? What else? Preaching. Preaching. Man of God, what? The end is near, near. yes, yes. Judgment, judgment, yep. Um, 
what are some things that might keep us from engaging with the prophetical books? What are some kind of barriers that you might name? Confusion, yep. Imagery, yep. Is it relevant today? Yeah, these were written, you know, thousands of years ago. Yeah. Yep. I mean, Isaiah walks around naked for two years. That's 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 a pretty pretty interesting story, but we're not going to talk about Isaiah, unfortunately. Uh, so we're going to miss that story. But no, I know what you mean, Matt. I know what you mean. Often repetitive. Yes, that's actually one of their um, devi- uh, rhetorical devices. Yeah, hard to understand. What, you know, when you browse Twitter or Facebook, you know, we, can, we usually get the cultural references right away. Uh, we don't have to labor to understand, hopefully, usually, what someone's trying to say. But reading the prophets, you're kind of waist deep in a mixture of unfamiliar genres with, with rules and conventions you don't under- understand. There's 12 genres throughout the the prophets. There's judgment, there's covenant lawsuit, there's trial speech, there's disputation, there's oracles, different kinds of oracles. There's all kinds of things. Lots of poetry. It's very repetitive, as David said. Um, And so, you know, and and even the idea of how, how do we read them? How do we interpret them now that Christ has come? You know, we have so much more of the Bible. How can we... How can we best read them as uh, believers in the 21st century? What exactly, how do they apply to us today? Um, they can sound off also just very judgmental and, and lots of judgment. and how, That could be hard, especially in an age like ours today. So why should we read them? I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take the easiest answer. It's because it's the Bible. All right? So I know that that's the first thing y'all are thinking of. But, but more deeply, why should we uh, read the Minor Prophets. Think maybe more specifically about you know, what might be in them. What, uh, why, should, why should we take the time to read them? Why should we learn more about them? They're in the Bible, yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kirk? Say that again? I didn't hear the word deals. Yes, of how he deals with his people. Yeah. Yeah, yep. Um, New Testament authors quote the prophets a ton. Um, it enhances our understanding of God to, to read the, this section. His character, his heart, his hatred of sin, his love for the nations comes through. Um, his power is really shown, especially when you, there's a lot of language of the day of the Lord, uh, which shows his judgment over his enemies. And we'll talk some about that in some of these books. As some of you have said, the sins that are dealt with um, in these books are the same that we still deal with today, so it's warnings for us as well. Um, There's foreshadowing of a greater 
of a greater exile, the day of judgment, and of a greater uh, restoration, the new heavens. They give a great hope. Uh, one author, he kind of starts his book about the prophets off uh, with the example of a struggling marriage. Um, he says, think of a couple who's been married for years, but whose relationship is on the brink. Things are complicated, confusing, and difficult. There's been lots of hurt and broken promises. What once seemed to be the problem turns out to just be a symptom of deeper problems. And the, the, There's been lots of sin, lots of pride, lots of damage. Apologies are not believed anymore because trust has been broken. It's all pretty rough. And the path forward is to look in two directions at the same time. Look backward and forward. The couple must look back in their marriage at their vows, what they originally promised to each other, and they must look forward with hope of what reconciliation might look like. And that analogy isn't perfect, but reading the Old Testament prophets is a bit like jumping into such a counseling situation. Um, like, like a counseling situation between a struggling couple, there are many overlapping stories which seem to get tangled together. Um, you can jump from one situation to the next quickly as one idea recalls another to mind. You can Moods change quickly, from hot to cold, to tenderness to scorn and back again. You get that all as you read the prophets. And in fact, God uses the analogy of a broken marriage um, often in the prophets to speak about his relationship. And obviously, Hosea is one of the best examples of that that we'll study in a couple weeks. Um, so I, what I want to do this morning is just answer five sort of introductory questions to the, to the prophets and minor prophets, and then... Um, what we'll do from there on is each class will just be a general introduction to each book, and it will uh, kind of help set each book in its right context, as well as connect it to the gospel and, and how we you know, can best read it in light of the rest of Scripture and all the rest of the truths of Scripture, as well as how we can apply it to our lives today. And what I'm going to do is go in chronological order. I'm not going to go necessarily, it it's, doesn't follow exactly the way it's in our Old Testaments. Um, and so I'll be teaching some of it, but we'll also have others helping teach this class. And then today at the end, I'm going to end early, and Janae Jackson is here. Can you wave, Janae? And she's going to talk at the end, about the last 10 minutes or so, about safe families. She, uh, she works with safe families who our church um, partners with to um, help uh, with needs in the community. So she's going to share a little bit more about that. All right, so five questions. If you have the, the handout with the, the microscopic writing, um, you can hopefully at least read question one, uh, which is, who were the prophets? Again, if you're coming in late, the projector is not working this morning, so there was a handout of my PowerPoint um, if you wanted to try and find that. So who are the prophets is my first question. Um, you know, Moses is the first person you've got to think of when you think of Old Testament prophets. Moses is sort of the fountainhead of the whole prophetic office in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, in the, in the prophetical books, the, the main thing the prophets are calling people back to is the words of Moses. They're, they're sort of, um, you know, they're, they're like Moses 2.0 in some ways. They're calling them back to the, the writings of Moses, of course, calling them back to the Lord in doing that. Um, it's kind of like the apostles, the, the letters of the apostles are kind of rooted in the gospels. They're kind of pointing you to the gospels, and the prophets are sort of rooted in the Pentateuch and kind of trying to bring Israel back to that. Um, prophets are key figures in the Bible. As you think about just how the Bible came together, the story, the history of God's people, 
just think about how important and how profound the prophetic office is as the, the story of the Lord goes forward and how God used prophets. Um, you know, how much glory God brought to himself through the prophets, how much um, God equipped his people and grew his people through the prophets. And one of the, uh, and, and of course, that all culminates in Jesus. Jesus becomes the culmination of the prophetic office, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Deuteronomy 18, if you want to turn there in, um, you know, an electronic device or your physical Bible, I think we still have the Bibles underneath. I didn't look up the page of what it is, but Deuteronomy 18 is one of the, you know, main passages kind of describing the prophetic office. And Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 13, it talks about abominable practices, And I'll read some of it. It says, When you come into the land the Lord gives you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination. Because of these, the Lord is driving them out. You shall be blameless before the Lord. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, list... um, For these nations listen to fortune tellers and to diviners, but as for you, the Lord will not allow you to do this. And so all of those things that are called abomination, notice they're not just things that God says doesn't work. He he takes the next step further and says these are abominations. And um, notice all of those things in Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 13 is things to try to secure future success. So they're kind of related to the prophetic office in the sense of, these are ways the other nations would try to really know the future and, and such. Instead, it goes right into then God from there starts talking about the, the office of prophet. I'm going to skip down to verse 18 <clears throat> where it says, I will raise up for them, for God's people, a prophet like you, you being Moses, from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him. And then it goes on to describe a true, how to discern between a true prophet and a false prophet. And just notice, like, the fact that God even sets up the prophetic office from the beginning, what does that say about what God is anticipating from his people? It's showing that he knows that um, of the potential of their infidelity that this is going to be a needed office, a a spokesman for God to call them back. Um, And that's exactly what the Old Testament calls them. They're God's spokesmen. They say, you know, often the the popular phrase is, thus saith the Lord. And, um, you know, I think as you look at Deuteronomy 18 there, you can kind of interpret and see that God um, will take it personally if people ignore the prophets, uh, which, of course, they do. he takes it personally because it's, it's his word speaking through them. Um, it's important to distinguish between the prophet and priests, especially in the sense of ministers of the word. Um, the priests were sort of the regular weekly um, expositors of God's word and, and the, the ministers to God's people. Prophets were raised at specific times for specific reasons. Um, and that's an important distinction to make. Um, that's why their call is so important. A lot of the different prophets, they kind of give the story of how they became called to prophetic ministry uh, because that's just part of um, discerning them being true. Um, And notice also, 
that it talks about a prophet will come after you. And it's kind of talking there about a specific prophet. So all the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, and such, they are, they are, um, they are like Moses, but we, as we see the rest of Scripture, um, that Jesus is the, the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18. In John 1.21, um, this would have been up on the PowerPoint, um, you remember when the Jews are they're, they're seeing John the Baptist going around, and he's just this incredible uh, figure to them. And one of them asks them, who? They say, are you Elijah? But then after asking that, they ask him in John 1.21, are you the prophet? And that is, that is a direct reference to Deuteronomy 18. They're wondering if, because you can tell there, and there's, there's a couple examples in John of this, that the Jewish people were, were still waiting for a prophet to be the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18. Um, you know, they're basically asking, are you the promised one in Deuteronomy 18? And John, John the Baptist says no. And later in Acts uh, chapter 3, Peter's talking to the early church, and to, well, he's talking to the Jewish people, um, and he says that all prophets after Moses point to Jesus. Uh, Acts 3 says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him, whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. And he's saying these days, um, that prophet has come and that is Jesus. Think about the transfiguration passage. Um, What does the voice of the Lord say to Peter, James, and John when they're up on the mountain with Jesus and he's transfigured, it says, listen to him. Um, it says some other things, but one of the things it says is listen to him. That's a direct quote of Deuteronomy 18 where it's talking about the prophet and that they, uh, the people are to listen to him. And who ends up showing up right after that is Elijah and Moses, the two prominent Old Testament prophets. And then Hebrews 3 is one of the best places to just see Christ as the fulfillment as the greater Moses. Uh, Hebrews 3, which uh, our women have studied this, they've studied Hebrews this last year. I'm sure they dug deeply into this. Um, you know, and, it, and Hebrews 3 really makes the application of if God was so intent on the people listening to Moses, how much more should we listen to the words of Jesus, uh, the greatest prophet of God? You know, Jesus, he doesn't say, thus says the Lord. What does he say? He says, truly, truly, I say to you. Um, and so that's just a heightening of the prophetic office that we see in Christ, that um, he is claiming his deity in that. All right, so, so the prophets are kind of coming from out of the office of Moses, in the line of Moses. It culminates in Christ. Prophets, what else are prophets? I'm still on question one. What is a prophet? Prophets are God's covenant lawyers. That's one way to think about them. They are covenant enforcers. Um, It's not just that they speak God's word. God sends them as prosecuting attorneys saying, you stand guilty before God. But they also offer a way out. There's the way of repentance. If if you repent, he will forgive you. Um, So in that sense, it's a very hard job. Uh, And many of the prophets, Jeremiah is probably the best example of just how hard Jeremiah's life was, the weeping prophet. Um, But yeah, not not a job that, would be easy for any of us to, to be sort of those covenant enforcers and in, in speaking prophetically into the people's lives. So the main job description is to call the people back to living as the people of God. That's what it's about. 
saying, you've broken the covenant, you've been unfaithful to God. Another thing I wanted to say, and I'm still working on this thought, but I, 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 I thought I'm, I'm, you know, thinking over is that prophets were kind of functional kings in the time of Israel. They were not kings, but they sort of acted in some ways. The, the kings were expected to be following God's word and helping implement God's word into the life of the people, and most of them weren't doing that. And so the prophets came along as the ones to really, they were sort of the representatives of Yahweh, the true king of the people. Um, and so they were a way that, that Yahweh asserted his kingship when Israel's kings failed. And um, Elijah and Elisha are the, probably the prime examples of that, the focus on them. In the books First and Second Kings, it, it focuses mainly on Elijah and Elisha. It's almost a way of saying they were the functional kings in that time. Um, prophets were actually common in that culture in other countries and other religions. Um, it's, not just a Christ, you know, it's not just an Israelite thing. Um, there were differences, but mostly similarities. Um, the minor prophets, uh, they're not, it doesn't mean insignificant. Minor means um, by size. Actually, in the old scrolls, all 12 minor prophets were on one scroll. They didn't, they didn't feel like it was worth making a whole another scroll just for Obadiah or like Joel, some of these shorter books. So they just decided to take all 12 minor prophets and put them on one scroll and they were often referred to as the Twelve. You'll see that quote often in ancient Jewish literature referring to the Twelve. Um, all right, so that's question one. What, are, what is a prophet? Um, what is prophecy is question two. What is prophecy? You know, what do you typically, what's the first thing you think about? I think the, the first answer to my question of what you think about is the future, predicting the future. Um, that's what we often think about, but that's not primarily uh, what a prophet, especially in the Bible, is, is, is for. Um, it's about the past, present, and future. They, they, the past, they're pointing them back to um, the covenant, present, they're talking about their sins, and then future, you know, future judgment, future restoration. And so <clears throat> um, prophets are both proclaimers and predictors. Uh, that's an important thing to hold together, proclaimers and predictors. Um, you know, you think about, and, and one person said, inst- instead of the word prediction, it's, it's more that they're promisers. They're promising something's going to happen. Um, you know, God knows the future. He's omniscient. But knowing the future is not the same as having the power to affect the future. Um, and that's what the prophetic word is about, especially when it talks about the future. He, the, the author gave an example of a judge. You know, when a judge passes a sentence on someone, he's not predicting what will happen as much as he's decreeing the future. He has the power and authority to see, to see that through. Um, and so the prophets, when they talk about the future, they're talking authoritatively about what God is going to do. But um, obviously the future could change if the people repent. So they're, they're promising this is what God's going to do, but if they repent, God won't do that. Um, And so the the prophets are not there primarily to satisfy our curiosity about the future, but to take what we know and use it to convict. They use prediction as a way to convict God's people. The why and the what and the how of their future discussions are are way more important than the when. Um, Let's see. 
Prophecy, so what is prophecy? It's, it's proclamation and prediction. It's an, it has, prophecy has both initial and final fulfillment. Um, you think of the day of the Lord. It talks a lot about the day of the Lord. Sometimes that's talking about something that's going to happen right then to Israel's, Israelite people or in the immediate future. Sometimes it's talking as far away as uh, when Jesus comes again in all his glory. Um, there's, there's initial and final fulfillment often. Um, you know, the messianic promises. There's times where the prophets talk about the Messiah coming as if it's going to be one, one coming, and he's going to fully establish his kingdom when he comes. But as we um, see, um, that that's not how Jesus did it. And so um, it, it's more complex than that. And uh, there's initial and final fulfillment. You think of a mountain range, when you're far away from a mountain range, it kind of all can look like one mountain or just one face of a mountain. The closer you get two mountains that look like right next to each other, um, you realize are sometimes hundreds of miles apart. So from one angle, they look you know, really close, but then when you really parse it out, the, mountain, the peak that is just left of this peak is actually way more in the distance. And so sometimes um, a, a prophecy talking about the future has a has a has a sort of an initial fulfillment and then a final fulfillment. Um, prophecy is addressed. Another thing, what is prophecy? It's addressed primarily to the people of God. Um, in that way, prophecy is more corporate than individual. We like to individualize it just to ourselves, and that's that's not wrong. But uh, remember that it's anything about the individual is to help the individual make the community better, especially in the prophets, and it's it's indictments on the whole community. Um, they're more inward focused than outward. They do talk about judgments on other, on other nations, and I'll get to that. But think about Jesus with the Pharisees. Like Jesus spent more time um, speaking to the people of God than he did condemning um, you know, the nations around them. And the prophets spend most of their time focusing on the people of God. Uh, when were the prophets active? It was a th- basically a 300-year th- period from about 800 to to around 500 B.C. Um, And um, all the writing prophets were in that era. And this was a time of a lot of crisis in in the history of God's people. There was much for the prophets to speak into in that period of time. And so the minor prophets are kind of broken down into three major periods. I'll explain it this way, the pre-exilic period. Um, there were two exiles, actually. The northern kingdom went to Assyria. The southern kingdom went to Babylon. But sort of pre-exilic, this is up to 722 B.C. when, when the Assyrians um, took the northern kingdom. And so Amos, Jonah, Hosea, and Micah are all speaking um, before 722. Um, and their, their main message is announcing the coming exile and indictment of covenant breach. A lot of the... Uh, Harder language is in some of those uh, prophets because it's pre-exile. Then, so there's the pre-exilic ones. Then there's the exilic ones. This is basically 722 to 536 B.C. It's called the Babylonian period. The early one was the Assyrian period. Um, this is sort of during and sort of leading up to getting really close to exile for the southern kingdom and then into exile. Um, there's, there's a little more comfort in these books. There's also warning, but there's a little more comfort. Um, so Nahum... Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and Obadiah are during that time. And then there's the post-exilic. This is the people have come back, um, the post-exilic minor prophets. 
Um, and there's a little more blessing than curse that is announced in these. But Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and probably Joel. Joel is the hardest of all the minor prophets to, to place um, in a date. But there is, there is a, probably the most evidence that it's you know, post-exilic. So we're going to deal with Joel in, in that way. What are the four? So that's my third question. When were they active? Fourth question is, what are the minor prophets generally about? I think there's so much you could say here. I could talk for you know, an hour on that. But I'll summarize it with two words, judgment and hope. Uh, judgment and hope are, are probably the two easiest um, sort of thought hooks to, to, to hook onto. Judgment, there's long sections on judgment. Um, you know, they, are, they are proclaimers, not just predictors. They are covenant enforcers. Um, Israel and Judah had become complacent and they don't take the warning seriously, the warning of exile. Um, so the prophets are saying it's not an accident that, that you're about to go and be punished. Think about a kid who is told he will be punished if he does something wrong. He does it anyways. He's warned again. He does it anyways. Then he's finally punished, and then he cries. You know, because you know, how could you do that to me? And the, and the parallel with Israel is, is obvious there. They're warned by Moses. They're warned by, by Joshua. Um, even before they get into the land. If you disobey, God will send prophets. Um, you know, God will be patient, but if you continue to disobey, you will go into exile. Um, so God is a God of infinite love, but he's also a holy God who hates what is evil um, and gets angry when he sees it. And his judgment on his people in the Old Testament should warn us against being complacent, as they were. Uh, the judgments there are a foretaste of a far more terrible judgment. Um, and the sins they focus on are the rejection of God. Um, you know, they're more than just being a broken people. They are rejecting the God of the covenant. They're not just breaking God's rules. They're breaking God's heart. Um, another sin they focus on is just a failure to trust God. They focus on the Ten Commandments and breaking of Ten Commandments, Hosea 4. They focus on idolatry, the people's idolatry. They focus on their greed. And they focus on injustice. Um, there was a, especially the, the prophets who were speaking before the, the exile into Assyria, it was a time of prominence um, for Israel. And there was a, a huge distinction that was growing between the wealthy and the poor. And uh, Amos and Micah and Hosea really speak into some of the ways they treated the poor terribly. There's also judgments on nations. You know, so like Obadiah is all about a judgment on Edom. You think about it. Okay, did Edom ever read that? We don't really know. So what, what is the point? Why in the Bible is there this writing about what God is going to do to Edom when we don't even know if Obadiah, because he spoke the prophecy about Edom to the people of Israel. So why did he do that? It was to comfort the people of Israel, that what God was doing. There was two reasons, to comfort them, um, that God is punishing his enemies. Uh, he's punishing their enemies. But it's also... Especially in Amos, it's very interesting. It starts out with this judgment on, I think it's Moab, and then it talks about maybe another neighboring company, uh, country. And then um, it's written to Israel, and then it talks about how God is going to judge Judah. And so Israel's, because Amos is talking to Israel, Israel's probably just sitting there like, oh man, yeah, we're so good. Look at all these judgments. And then Amos, finally, he talks about Israel. So he kind of builds up, and then he um, does that. Uh, hope. So it's judgment and hope. Um, they talk about hope of, of God um, restoring his people. 
To be faithful to his word, God has to judge his people, but that same word demands that the judgment will not be the end of his dealings. Um, there's conditional elements to God's mosaic promises. There's curses if they disobey, but there's also an unconditional element to them. His promise to Abraham is a guaranteed commitment that, um, that he will be with his people. So, they instill hope about a remnant, a faithful remnant. They instill hope about a, a, you know, coming back out, a new exodus. exodus. They instill hope through a new covenant, through a servant that is to come, through a new king that is to come, of the inclusion of the nations. They instill hope about a new Jerusalem, a new temple, a new creation. <clears throat> and then finally, uh, how should we read the prophets? And... Um, I'll just, I'll just, I'll use the acronym TSA. I think that's the acronym at the airport for the security at the airport. So it has nothing to do with that, but TSA, T stands for twice at once. Read the prophets twice at once. Read them in their original context, um, their original setting. You know, why was, why was this prophecy given? And we're going to introduce that for each of the books, but also read them in their context of the whole Bible um, and, and in light of Christ. You know, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24 talks about all scripture pointing to him. Um, you know, Jesus, all the judgment that the prophets talk about, Jesus took that judgment ultimately on himself. Um, he is the reason that, that we can have hope in the midst of pain. Uh, so t- the T is read it twice as once. S is simple. Try to, you know, as best you can keep it simple. It's good to study and go in depth on these books, but it's also can keep us from reading them. And so if you keep the idea of judgment and hope, in your mind as you read, those are easy ways to read through the minor prophets of, okay, is this a judgment passage or is this a hope passage? And how Jesus um, brings out the best of either of those sections where judgment was ultimately on him and hope is ultimately because of him. And then A, TSA, A is ask questions. You know, and in any particular prophecy, what did God want from his people? What form did their obedience take? What would these words have meant to their original audience? What promises does God make to his people here? What does God reveal about his character? How does he save his people in this passage? How does the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit save me from this judgment, secure these promises of God for me, and free me to walk in the obedience that honors the Lord? All right, so um, next week we will discuss Jonah. Uh, Jeff Forey will be teaching on Jonah next week. I'm excited about that, and then we'll go from there. At this time, I'm going to have Janae Jackson come up, 